my sin was heavy The chains break at the weight of your glory I needed shelter, I was an orphan Now you call me a citizen of heaven When I was broken, you were my Come and join the Jesus people. This is where your heart belongs.
Stopping what you plan. You give us faith to move the mountains and hope to dream again. We see the fires of revival, the darkness giving way to light. 
everybody welcome to compass bible church we are glad that you are here with us this morning we invite you to stand and sing along lord i find you in the seeking lord i find you in the doubt and to know you is to love you and to know so little
And for those who are new, welcome to Compass Bible Church. We are excited that you have joined us this morning as we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew as we have the last few weeks on the Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so we're excited to continue that and to be able to land that soon uh, here this year. For those who do not know who I am, uh, my name is Evan. I'm the associate pastor here, and we are just glad, we are so glad and grateful that you're here to come and worship with us and learn God's Word with us. And this is your very first time here. We'd love to get you connected here. We have a connect team that would love to connect with you. We, they would love to give you a gift if this is your first time, and also share with you the different things about Compass. And one thing they're going to point you to is our 
our Exploring Compass class, which is our new members class. The next one is happening. It's the last one of the year, by the way, November the 12th and 19th. And so you can still register for it right now inside your bulletin. You can scan, scan that QR code and register right now. We'll provide lunch. We'll provide uh, kids care. And it'll be happening after the second service. But this is an opportunity for you to ask questions to the pastors here, to, to meet us, and meet, meet Pastor Hayden and I, to ask your questions, to learn more about who we are as a church, how you can get connected to the community here, and how you can find a place to serve. And all of that is at our one-stop shop called Exploring Compass. All right, well, this Saturday, this coming weekend is going to be busy for our church. Ladies, it starts with you on Saturday the 28th, October the 20th at 9 a.m. We have our women's breakfast coming up. And so there's only two of these left this year. You have this one coming up on the 28th, and you have one coming up in December, which is the Christmas coffee. But we'll talk about that in a few uh, later down the road. But the this uh, authentic Faith series is continuing through the book of James as Kayla will be teaching you ladies there, but it'll be breakfast. It'll be a great time for you to fellowship as the ladies and the women of this church and a great opportunity to bring other women along to come and see who God is, to see who God's church is, and to experience the love of God through his people, particularly you ladies. And so make sure you save the date this Saturday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., and be there because there's only a few, only a couple left this year. Uh, and then next, we have our prayer night the next day on October the 29th. So Sunday night at 5 p.m., our monthly prayer meeting. We love doing these. We love seeing the people here. And one of my favorite things is seeing the families that come. The fam- we have a family room that we set up in the compass room where parents bring their kids and show them how to pray for God's church. And so uh, this is a church-wide prayer meeting. So uh, please join us as we give updates what God is doing here at the church and also updates of where we where we want to see God grow this church, you know, with particularly with the people and also what he's doing with this facility. All right, and then the final announcement actually is something unique. If you don't know, if this is your first time here, if you don't know about this, we actually have a coffee shop uh, right here. And it's, it's, it's a bad way to say coffee shop. Coffee shop implies you have to purchase this. We have free coffee for you. And we love for you to, to have, to slow down, have coffee, to slow down and fellowship with one another after service. And also we have a bookstore um, that is open on Sundays for you to look at some uh, good books to help you understand more of who God is. If you don't have a Bible, you can purchase a Bible or a study Bible there. And starting this Sunday, we have brand new journals, Compass Bible Church journals that you can purchase so you can take notes during sermon, take notes on what you're reading in your Bible, or even take do your notes as you get ready to do a life group. You can answer the application questions in the back of your worksheet in, your, in that handy dandy notebook. So you can grab that at the bookstore on Sundays. And so each, week, each Sunday that's open, and we'll always update those with new books as we, um, as we get them. So With all that, I'm going to have the ushers come forward for this morning's offering. And so let's pray together as the ushers come up um, for our church, for this offering, and for our worship. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for another time to come and gather to worship you. Help us, God, to worship you as we give right now, as we're remembering our giving that we did online, or if we give right now. Lord, we just pray that you'd use these finances to further your kingdom, to reach more people, to teach more people, and to train more people to love your son, Jesus Christ. God, we also pray for our worship, that we'd be able to sing these songs, to be able to see the, understand the truth that these songs are trying to convey and have our hearts and minds conform to that truth and to sing your praises that you deserve. 
And we also pray, Lord, that you prepare our hearts to hear the word of God preached, that we would worship you as we listen attentively to what you have to say in your word and conform our hearts and minds to you. And so we just pray that you would be glorified in this worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness and new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, He counts not their song. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the invite you to stand and sing along with us for this next verse. What patience would wait as we constantly run. What Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness and new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath the dead we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness and new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more.
1 Peter 2, 22 through 25. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls.
You're welcome to be Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you again for a morning to come and gather to worship you. God, we understand how important truth is and our understanding of truth. No understanding that what we think dictates what we do and what we do will dominate our life. So it's vital, God, that we understand the truth. God, help us through this text to be able to understand how to recognize those who do not preach the truth, who claim to have truth but speak lies, those who claim to be of you, to follow you, to, to, who claim to point people to you, but through their lies point us away from you. So give us, Lord, the, the discernment to understand the voices that we listen to from the radio, to the podcasts, to the, the sermons that we listen to, to the conversations that we have. Help us have discernment, Lord, who is leading us astray and to have humble hearts to come to you for truth. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I read an article recently about the counterfeit goods crisis that's uh, pervasive not only here in America but across the world. Uh, I found out that the uh, result financially, that is that counterfeit goods crisis generates for those who are producing counterfeit goods worldwide $3 trillion annually. Just every year, those who are taking name brand items, uh, knocking them off, duping consumers, uh, are generating $3 trillion a year. Now, federal agencies, not only here in America, but across the world, spend millions and millions and millions of dollars every year to inform consumers of how to look out for these counterfeit goods. Uh, And they spend some of that money as well combating uh, the sale of counterfeit goods. 
Uh, you can actually go online on to the federal government's uh, consumer organization, and they'll actually give you lots of articles on how you can identify counterfeit goods either on online or even at uh, mom-and-pop shops across the country. Uh, they'll tell you in those articles that there are major concerns that they have that can result in problems for you and for the economy, and the top three biggest problems that they will say that counterfeit goods create for you and me uh, is one, job loss. And so if we're purchasing uh, dupes, uh, we are taking money away from organizations that are doing things in our world legally to employ people. And if we're purchasing things for people who aren't selling things legally, well, you're creating a problem in the job market. Uh, secondly, they say there is uh, safety concerns. Obviously, you're buying things that you, you think come with it, a degree of safety that is regulated by the federal government. Uh, but when you buy these dupes, there is no such regulation on those uh, resources. And then thirdly, you just deal with a quality assurance problem. You think you got a nice pair of Nikes on, you go on a run, and before you're done with your mile, you're, you're running barefoot. Because those were definitely not the Nikes that you thought you bought from that place down the dark corridor at the end of the marketplace. But I'd like to posit to you that there is a much bigger crisis in our world than the counterfeit goods crisis. Uh, to which the consequences of this much larger problem uh, have with it far larger consequences than job loss, safety concerns, and quality assurance concerns. And I'd like to posit that this crisis that we're dealing with is the counterfeiting lives and teachings of false teachers. And the problem with counterfeit teachers that far outweighs any kind of consumer counterfeiting that we're ever going to deal with is we risk, if we don't as a church recognize counterfeit teachers and remove them, or at least in as much as our power can do, uh, disregard them, move away from them, warn people about them, the things that we're going to deal with are people and teachers and even churches misrepresenting God, misrepresenting His message. And this has eternal consequences. This reality that if we don't teach the Word of God precisely, and particularly, we're at risk of misrepresenting God's message of salvation and God's message of judgment to come. And that is going to create consequences that far outweigh any kind of concerns we're going to have about purchasing some knockoff Nikes, some knockoff Louis Vuitton. I mean, those are small. Those are crackers and peanuts compared to the consequence of listening and sitting under false teachers. Up on the screen, the main point that I want you to get into our minds as we're thinking about the text that we're jumping into here in the book of Matthew there in chapter 7, starting in verse 15, is this, that knowing false teachers exist today should put every believer on high alert to inspect the teaching and lifestyles of those who claim to speak on God's behalf. That's exactly where Jesus is taking us this morning in Matthew 7. If you're not there already, I want you to turn in your Bible with me. 
Because if we're talking about false teachers, you don't just want to sit here and look up at somebody telling you what God's Word says. You want to be a good Berean, as the book of Acts says, and you want to open up the Bible, and you want to make sure you can ask the question, is this what the Bible says? Because that's how we're going to understand how to discern false teaching from the genuine article. And so let's open up the Bible. Let's look there in Matthew chapter 7, starting there in verse 15. Because we need to know not only that they exist, but we should be aware and we should be discerning on how to inspect the possibilities and the prevalence of false teachers in our culture. And as you're turning there, there are three realities we must accept and we must deal with concerning the existence of false teachers. And the first one is found right there in the beginning of verse 15. So follow along with me there in the first phrase in Matthew 5, Matthew 7, verse 15. It says there, Jesus says, beware of false prophets. How do I know what this pericope or this section of Scripture is talking about? How do I know the subject matter of this? Well, there's there in your first line, it says beware. There's your imperative. This is what Jesus is telling us to do. So from verses 15 to 20, all of the Sermon on the Mount is together. It all, it all connects and its message is, has continuity from the beginning to the end. But each section, you can understand, has a specific subject in mind. And here in verse 15, we find the subject matter at hand with the word beware. There's your imperative. It's telling me and you. Christ is looking at the people there, the disciples, the religious leaders, those that are there on the mountain, uh, and even throughout history as his words have been codified in the canon of Scripture, he is now looking at you and I and saying, beware of false prophets. There's our topic. There's our subject matter. We need to understand, though, what is a prophet A prophet can be defined, and you should write this down if maybe you're foggy in understanding what a prophet is. In its most simplest form, a prophet is a mouthpiece of God. Biblically, that's what a prophet is. It's a mouthpiece of God. It is an individual who can stand before people, and they can look at them in the eyes, and they can say, thus saith the Lord. They can look at you, and they can say, God says without having the Bible in their hand. That's what prophets were. And we got to understand, if we want to understand the definition of prophets and how prophets were used, we also need to understand this concept of progressive revelation. You and I, we live here in the 21st century, and we have this precious gift that has never existed before in all of humankind, and it's the Bible that I ask you to open up this morning. We are one of the very few cultures in all of history that has the complete canon of Scripture. As a matter of fact, it wasn't even until the 1500s where the the printing press, Gutenberg's printing press, allowed us to print on a massive scale written works. And so even if you think about that, it's only in the last 500 years that we've had access to the ability to mass print things, books, articles, And not even since then, just because you have a print press existing, you still need accurate copies and translations of the text. I mean, all of this, just to get you to think about and understand that progressive revelation was necessary for two reasons. Number one, I should say number two, chronologically, people didn't have access 
to the things that we have today. But the most important biblical rationale for progressive revelation is simply this, that God throughout history, all the way up till the culmination of the incarnation of Christ, had progressively been revealing himself and his plan for redemptive history from the beginning of Genesis all the way through in the culmination of the incarnation of Christ. God was revealing himself and his plan for history and its redemption in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in order for that to happen, prophets were necessary throughout history as God was dealing with people differently through different times of history. There were prophets who rose up speaking on God's behalf and calling and telling people the truth of God's plan for them in the present age. In our present age, as we think about the concept of progressive revelation, we have been given all things necessary concerning the revelation of God in His Word. Because God is dealing with us the same way that He was dealing when Christ came and died on the cross. And that revelation that has been given to us, you and I, in the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and His free gift of salvation by His grace through faith is the revelation given to us, as Scripture says, at the proper time. And because we have that in our time, as it is, as we stand right now in the 21st century, we have no need of further prophetic revelation. We have, even as 2 Peter 1, 19-21 says, as we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. That is, this has been said through prophets, but it has been more fully confirmed through the person and work of Jesus Christ, and it is now codified through the word of the 66 books of the canon of Scripture, and we have everything that says, thus saith the Lord. But yet, even in that time, even as Jesus was living before he died, was buried, and resurrected, there were still prophets very active in their ministries, uh, particularly people like we've read already, like John the Baptist, who was sent by God, even as he says, to prepare the way for the Lord. And uh, on the other hand, there were also prophets, even alive during that time, that were, even as Christ says here in verse 15, false prophets, those who claimed to be mouthpieces of God who actually weren't, who existed, who existed to mislead people. And there's really the topic of discussion, even as we're looking here, understanding what a prophet was and then what do we mean when we say false prophets. See, the New Testament uses this Greek word called pseudoprophetes. And you may understand right, the first root, right there, pseudo, right, which we have even in our English words like pseudonym, which means fake name. Okay, we have in Scripture the use of the term pseudo prophetes, which is false prophets, those that are masking or masquerading as being speakers on God's behalf, who God did not send and God did not put His imprimatur on their life to speak on His behalf whatsoever. And so when we have that understanding, we recognize here in the Scripture that a false prophet were those who claim to speak authoritatively on God's behalf but are a false representation of the real thing. I mean, that's literally what the word pseudo means. Like, it is a false representation of the genuine article. And so false prophets are a false representation of the genuine thing. 
And in our culture, we have many of those, many who claim to be prophets and even more false teachers, even in our culture. But even before we do that, I mean, you don't have to go very far even into the Old Testament to see false prophets uh, living and deceiving people. We see this even in Jeremiah, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament, in chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. And you should jot that down because there's a really good example of the problem of pseudo-prophets throughout Scripture. Here, in Jeremiah 14, in verses 13 and 14, you have to understand that God had promised to send a sword and famine to Judah by the hands of Babylon because they turned away from the Lord. God had already promised them in his covenant to them that if you will not follow me, I will drive you out of this land hundreds of years before. And here they are sitting around 500 and, uh, 5, 586 B.C. In the time, during that time, the Babylon is coming down and they're going to take over Judah. But there were these false prophets, and you need to understand this in the text, who were claiming that God had nothing but good in store for Judah. I mean, just listen to this. Jeremiah said to the Lord, Ah, Lord God, behold, there are these prophets, and, and they say to the people, You shall not see a sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And God spoke to the genuine mouthpiece, his genuine mouthpiece, the, the prophet Jeremiah, and he said this, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. You see, this problem of false prophets and false teachers is something that we got to take real serious because Scripture takes them real serious. And, and although we don't have prophets today in the technical sense of the word that we see here in Scripture, we do not lack those who falsely claim to speak on God's behalf misleading people. And that alone, as we think about the first point of our text this morning, should cause us to heed the warning of Jesus to beware of these kinds of people. And I want you to sum that up. Point number one, we need to be aware of their existence. And I know it may be simple, but if you can't do this, we're not going to be able to go anywhere else this morning in the text. You need to be aware of the existence of false teachers. I mean, they're around. And so many people, maybe if you spent much time in church, uh, people may talk about them, but what I've noticed, at least in my experience, is we talk a lot about them, but we know very little about them. And I think because we know very little about them or how to identify them, we just assume that they're not going to be a problem, and I might as well pretend like they don't exist, because what can I do about it anyway? And I think that's one of the biggest problems that we deal with here in our culture, is that we are unaware, and probably ignorantly so, of the existence of false teachers. And we ought not to be, and I'll give you a scripture that will help you understand the prevalence of these kinds of people in our culture today. You can jot down 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. As Paul says there to his young protege, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers, to suit their own passions. That word accumulate, right? It can also mean, you can also translate it to heap up. And I want you to, to think about it that way because it indicates the number of false teachers that will be alive and active in the future of the writing of this text. We have in the days to come, there will be people who will not endure sound teaching and they're just gonna heap up. They're just gonna pile up as proof of the way that they're living 
and the confirmation of their lifestyles and the teachings that they hear, all of these people side with me. All of these people are telling me that this is the right way to live. And they're going to heap them up because what they say is not what the truth is, but what they want to hear. And he says in verse 4, and these people, they're going to turn away from listening to the truth and they're going to wander off into myths. Here's the concern for you and me. Are we going to follow the truth of God's word? Or are we going to wander off into myths, conjecture? I hope, at least at this point, as we're looking at Scripture, as you look at the words of Christ, you're at least convinced of the existence and the prevalence of false teachers. And if you are, we can continue moving on in the text, because what we need to figure out is we know they exist, but what is their M.O.? What is their modus operandi? Like, how, what do they do? Who are they? What do they look like? How do they, how do they manifest themselves in, in our world? And Jesus tells us exactly how that happens in the second half of verse 15. If you put your eyes on the second half of verse 15 in Matthew 7. He says, these false teachers, they're going to come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You see, false teachers, they're masters of disguise, which is one of the biggest problems with false teachers in our day is they look just like you and me. They talk in a lot of ways just like you and me. Wouldn't it be great if false teachers had a big sign around their neck that says, false teacher, avoid? Right? They don't do that. right? We want That's what we want, but that is not indicative of false teachers in our day, nor is it indicative of how Satan works and even is in himself the father of lies that we even see as early on as Genesis chapter 3, who masquerades himself as a good teacher, a wise person who can allow us to get further in life than we would otherwise been able to get on our own. Or even with the help of God's word, they believe they can get us somewhere else further down the road than God's word can. And here, he says that they're going to look like you outwardly, but inwardly, they're going to be ravenous. They're going to try to take advantage of you. They're going to try to do everything they can to get into your life and try to get you to give them your attention, your resources, and your life. Now we see, even if we continue in Jeremiah, and I'd love for you, even if you would, turn with me to Jeremiah 28. You see these false prophets continuing there uh, in Judah, in Jeremiah 28. You got a false prophet there by the name of Hananiah. And, and And Hananiah was telling Judah that God would break the yoke of Babylon. And I want you to understand, as you're looking at Uh, this text. As you're looking at Matthew 28, I want you to just think about how assertive Hananiah is, how just a matter of fact Hananiah is as he's talking to the people of Judah, while we know full well, 2020 hindsight, that he is a false teacher. Go ahead and look there. Uh, Verse uh, verse 1, I'll skim a little bit here. Uh, It says, Hananiah, he's the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Listen, thus says the Lord, capital L, does your, does your Bible have capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh? Like this, I'm not just saying like, you know, random God down the road. I'm saying this is your God. I'm speaking on behalf of your God here. And in the presence of the priests, I love this, he is not ashamed or embarrassed to be a false prophet in the presence of priests. 
in the presence of those who actually lead the worship of Israel. And he, even in their presence, with all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, the host, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I will bring back to this place all of the vessel of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And then listen to the actual prophet. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah, the prophet in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. (laughs) May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Yet hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and all of the hearing of the people. The prophet who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great nations and kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. I want you to even understand before we get to the culmination of this, I want you to think about the true prophet of God, Jeremiah. Did you notice how Jeremiah, immediately after hearing the false prophet Hananiah speaking, did not immediately roundhouse kick him in the chin and call him a liar and point at him and say, don't follow this guy. Actually, a real prophet is going to be a pretty humble person. And they're going to say, you know what, here's here's what I'm not going to claim. I'm not going to claim to know everything. I'm not going to claim to be the one who can call out every single false thing that I've ever heard in my life immediately. Instead, he says, you know what, we're going to wait on the Lord. We're going to wait and we're going to discern whether or not what you're saying is true and genuine or whether it is false and a lie from Satan. Then the prophet there in verse 10, Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah, the prophet, and he broke them as a sign of God going to break that yoke of uh, Judah. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of the people saying, thus says the Lord, again, lying and saying, I'm speaking on behalf of Yahweh. Even so, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of the nations within two years. But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. And sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broke the yoke bars over the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah. Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord. You have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. And in the same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. If you were ever wondering how serious God takes people who falsely teach in the name of Yahweh, you don't have to look far, even in the Old Testament, to recognize that God does not deal kindly with people who misrepresent him and his message. And we need to, even as Christians, begin recognizing that there are false teachers in close proximity to our lives and our churches and our ministries 
and they're going to look like us, and they're going to sound like us, and they're going to speak language like us. They're going to speak of the God of Israel. They're going to speak of good things that are not coming to pass in God's economy. And that's what I want you to see, even in the two texts that we looked. You know, false teachers can and they will promise good things that God had never promised. And this is one of the important aspects of Bible teaching and preaching in the 21st century that people, false teachers, will promise good things that God had never promised one time to his church. And we need to understand that even as they promise these good things, we need to look at Scripture, and we need to look just like Jeremiah did, and he quoted that. Did you notice that after Hananiah spoke for the first time? And Jeremiah said, didn't God promise, even from the prophets before, that he prophesied famine and war and pestilence? But you're saying all of these good things. And again, we live in a culture where you can go to a lot of places on a Sunday morning, and they're just going to tell you a lot of good things. Here's all the good things that are going to happen in your life. Here's all the good things that are going to happen. And all you got to do is A, B, and C. But when I look at Scripture, much like Jeremiah, and I hope you, when we look at Scripture, we see things like there's coming a time when the love of others will grow cold, and evil will reign And you're going to see people disobedient to their parents, evildoers, liars, haters, people who will cause dissension, sexually immoral. We see that. And we got to make sure that as we are sitting under the teaching of God's word, that we want to sit under God's word as taught in, in Scripture. Not as God's word perceived and said by people who do not know the word of God or will not teach the word of God clearly. You have prophets... In that time, you have teachers in our day who promise abundance, who promise deliverance from anything you want deliverance from. And they do it here, and they do it across the world, and they promise life and health and finances. But we have a God who promises salvation in Christ alone, who promises a a great amount of protection and community within the body of Christ, promises the help and aid of the Holy Spirit in our life as we sit, even in our life, Suffering within the will of God, dealing with infirmities, dealing with maladies, dealing with relational conflict, dealing with conflict at work and in the home, dealing with all of these things, but yet through Christ. There's your promise. All as we await the consummation of the kingdom of Christ's return. There's your promise, at least in a a 30,000-foot view of the real promises of Scripture given to us. Is God against giving you finances? No, as much as you would use them to advance his kingdom. Sure. But is that the promise of Scripture for you and I? It certainly is not. So because we know the, the prevalence of false teachers, we must be number two on your outline. You need to be watchful for their presence. You need to be aware that they exist. And number two, you need to be watchful for their presence. Like, it's one thing to be aware of the existence of something. It's a whole other thing to be watchful for its actual presence in your life. I was listening, unfortunately, to a news, a news reel recently of this elderly woman in Florida who was walking her, her small dog, and she was walking too close to a lake, and an alligator comes out and grabs the woman and drags her to the bottom of the lake, and unfortunately, she didn't make it. You know, but if I had asked this elderly lady, did you know that alligators existed in Florida? She'd have been like, well, yeah, 
Of course, I'm 80 years old. I've been out here my whole life. I know alligators exist. She may have known that that alligator potentially existed in that water, but she certainly wasn't watchful for the presence of that alligator in her own life. And I would just want to iterate the reality of that in our own lives. Like We may be aware of the existence of false teachers in our time, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, that I believe that for the most part, 90% of congregants in the local church are not being watchful for the presence of false teachers and their teachings filtering into our lives and our children's lives and our families' lives. And we must be very careful because these people are going to look like us, they're going to talk like us, and they're going to misrepresent the God who loves us. We see this, I mean, 2 Corinthians 11, you should jot this down, 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15, it paints a terrifying picture of the truth of false teachers. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15 says, For such men are deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder... Listen to this. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is to no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. It's just not going to be easy for you to rush through your life and still be able to pinpoint false teachers in your life. You're just not going to do it. I I I had this conversation with a couple of people this week. I said, I think one of the biggest concerns that I have with our church is the fact that I see so many people running 100 miles an hour just depending that on everything just working out so they don't have to slow down to think twice about much. And it's a big concern because in our, in our desire to, to get up the ladder and in our desire to get 100 miles down the road, we're not being diligent in taking steps that are consistent with biblical revelation. And we must make sure... That we can't just say, oh, okay, okay, apostle of Christ, apostle of Christ, okay, teacher of God, teacher of God, teacher of God. When Scripture tells me you're probably not going to be able to pinpoint these kinds of people as quickly as you would hope. And it takes you some time to discern. And you got to watch out for their presence because they look like sheep, but they're wolves. They look like servants of Christ, but they're servants and messengers of Satan. And we have to to be aware of their existence and watchful for their presence. But I'll give you a preemptive application, right? something you can do uh, even before you, you set out of being watchful you know, throughout the rest of your days is a, a preemptive application to this, is you need to choose your church wisely. Choose your church wisely. This is a preemptive application because it protects you from a lot of things you would not otherwise be protected from. I mean, I think about even this, you know, we're, t- we're teaching about false teachers here. That's, that's comforting, isn't it? That we're teaching about the reality of false teachers. That is a comforting reality because if we know they exist, but yet we go to a church and we never hear a message on false teachers, that is a red flag for me to think through as I'm trying to figure out who I could sit under to understand and know God's word, as God has called men to lead congregations across the world, I need to make sure that I'm going to an actual congregation to where God has indeed called those men to lead in the teaching of God's word. But if I will do that preemptively, choose a church wisely, there's going to be a lot of watching going on around me. There's going to be a lot of people helping me discern and guiding me 
through the truth of God's Word to ensure that we are following people who are teaching God's Word clearly and not deceptively. And really what it does is a byproduct, a byproduct if I'm choosing my church wisely, I'm not hanging around where false teachers hang around. That's what I love about opening up the Bible. You know, and I, when you open up the Bible, you can look on YouTube. You can look, I was just talking to Pastor Evan about this this week. When people are false teachers, you open up the Bible and they are gone. Right? The minute you open up the Bible and you say, well, what does this text mean? The last thing that they're going to talk to you about is the text. They may talk about culture. They may talk about their experience. They may talk about their interpretation, but they will not talk about the text at hand. And I love it when you go to a church, and what we're going to do is we're going to open up the Bible, and we're going to ask, what does the text say? Because if I believe that all of God's Word, right, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, God's Word, theopneustos, God breathed. When we say inspired, we don't mean that somebody got excited and went out and did a great dance. We understand inspired from the Latin word inspiro, which means breathed. And when we say theopneustos, we, we mean God breathe, that it comes from the nostrils of God. And so as we're reading the text of Scripture, we're not reading man's interpretation of God. We're reading God's words on paper for you and me. So if we open up God's word and we say, what does this text mean? You can bet your bottom dollar on it. It is what God says. And we can entrust ourselves to faithful men who will open up the Bible and say, what does that mean? Secondly, we need to stay vigilant, but don't be vigilantes. And I mean that because I think one of the things that this sermon can do for many people in this room is it can give you license to walk around pointing at everybody that you don't like and call them false teachers. And I'm going to tell you what, the Bible also calls that slander, and which is also condemned in Scripture. And so us, much like Jeremiah, need to be humble followers of God. And when we hear things we need to discern and we need to trust in the Lord and we also need to include shepherds that God has included in that flock to help them discern and come to a decision on how to handle the problem at hand. But we need to be vigilant. We need to be watching for these things biblically, but we don't need to be vigilantes. We can't make a habit of crying wolf. You I mean, you've heard the nursery story of the girl who cried wolf. I don't have to. Do I need to tell it? You can even know it, right? You know the story? Okay, I didn't, ever, I didn't even read it before this, but I could probably tell you're pretty close, okay? All right? The girl just keeps crying wolf when there's no wolf, and then all of a sudden there's a wolf, and she cries wolf, and nobody listens, and she's devoured. We got to be careful, because if you're going to cry wolf when there is no wolf, just because maybe you don't like somebody, or maybe that you're just a little gun trigger, trigger happy, and you just want to pull the trigger on all these people that you want to think is a false teacher, the problem with that is you're going to lose credibility, personally. You're going to lose credibility because people don't know if they can trust what you say. And then you need to start asking, are you being a false teacher? But that's a whole other part of the part of the sermon we may get to someday. But secondly, not only are you going to lose credibility, you're going to desensitize the congregation to actual false teachers, which the best thing that a good shepherd can do in your congregation is to make sure that we don't have vigilantes, to make sure we don't have a bunch of people crying wolf, because when I hear wolf in this church, I want everybody's ears to perk up, and I want everybody to look around like every good herd animal is going to do when they hear danger coming. I want everybody to be well aware that there is something here that ought not to be here. And the only way we can do that is if we're not crying wolf, but we're staying vigilant. And we do some other things that you'll find down in verses 16 through 20. So... 
I know, I know they exist. I know I got to be watchful for them. But okay, Pastor, you haven't really told me how to, how to actually pinpoint them. Like I got my finger ready. I just need to figure out where I'm pointing. Can you help me point my hand in the right direction when they're around? Okay, look at verse 16. Verse 16. Jesus says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to recognize them by their fruits. You see, what false teachers produce in their teaching and in their lifestyle is indicative of their identity. And you must know this. Right? You must know this. And you must have a, a firm doctrine of fruit. Right? And maybe you're one of those people who have been to a church where they misrepresent fruit. Uh, and maybe, you've been, maybe you don't know anything about fruit. Maybe you hate fruit. Maybe you're a vegetable person. Okay, But you're going to have to understand that if you cannot properly understand biblical fruit, you are going to be susceptible to every false teacher that will ever live in your vicinity. And so you must have a biblical doctrine of fruit because fruit is going to reveal the identity of false teachers. Identity, you realize, as we look in the text, is the crucial concept in this whole passage. It is identity. In the metaphysical studies, this is called ontology. You need to understand, ontology is a metaphysical branch dealing with nature. Not, not nature, but the nature, the existence of something. The purpose of, of what that thing is. The being of that thing. And fruit is tied inextricably to someone's ontology. And that's exactly what, what Jesus says here, even in the rest of verse 16, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistle? You would say, absolutely not. Ontologically speaking, that would be an impossibility because it's actually contrary to the nature of a thorn bush to grow grapes, and it's contrary to the nature of thistles to form figs. It is ontologically absurd. And that's why you must understand the right purpose part and place of fruit in the life of the Christian and in the life of the teachers because my existence and you can see you should just look up verses on ontology in the New Testament I don't actually know if you'd find anything good but I could probably give you some if you need some second uh, Corinthians 5:17 you are a new creation you're ontologically different than before the old has gone, behold, the new has come. There is a verse speaking on the ontological difference of those who are in Christ. So, therefore, if I'm ontologically different, my nature is different, I have a new nature, then I'm going to be altogether different. Those things that I was producing before, I'm going to produce different now because I'm altogether different. And this is what Jesus is getting to here, saying, you got to understand fruit. You got to understand the nature of a thing, and we got to understand the nature of a thing because verse 15 tells us you got to beware of false, prophet, false prophets because they're going to ontologically look like a sheep, but their true ontology, their identity, is actually going to be a wolf. And so you have to discern fruit. You don't have a choice unless you want to be ignorant and foolish. You have to be willing to stand firmly on the biblical doctrine of fruit. Now, you can't do that without all the other things that we talked about. Humility, discernment, patience, all those things necessary for the Christian life. As a matter of fact, I think I just told you some fruits of the Spirit there that are going to be necessary for you as a Christian if you're going to properly perceive and point out false teachers. Because we understand 
the grapes can't be gathered from thorn bushes and figs can't be gathered from thistles. And so in verse 17, we have this concept stated positively that every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So we see that you got a healthy tree, ontologically speaking, it's going to give you good things. You got a diseased fruit tree, it's going to produce diseased fruit. And you see the same concept in verse 18 reiterated in the negative. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And so you see here the, the bifurcation of fruit. Good fruit, good teacher. Bad fruit, bad teacher. There, there, there it is. Now, we're going to have to understand, and we will, I, I hope, by the end of this sermon, understanding what is fruit, what does that look like in the context of, of this passage. But we have to understand, if I see through the teaching and lifestyle of the teacher good fruit, that I can rest assured and have confidence that there is a healthy, godly teacher. And if I see bad fruit through the teaching and lifestyle of those shepherds and those teachers, then I can rest assured that I am in the presence of a false teacher. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So we have every tree, right, which we understand is a literary device that is actually talking about false teachers. Every teacher that proves to be false is headed for certain judgment, just like a diseased tree is headed for the burn pile, so is those who say, thus saith the Lord, when God did not send them, and they teach lies. Thus, again, we see the section ending, stating unequivocally the reality of our responsibility as sheep to recognize these teachers by their fruits. So how do we do that? There's two ways that you're going to identify false prophets that I've already alluded to, I've already said explicitly, but I'll, I'll reiterate one more time and you can write it down. You can identify false prophets in the context of this passage two ways. One, they do not teach the narrow way. Right, you go and listen to somebody who doesn't teach the narrow way, you're going to find someone who does not submit to the authority of Scripture. It's somebody that does not heed the warnings of the text and somebody who does not follow the Messiah that we see put forward in the canon of Scripture. <clears throat> they do not teach the narrow way. And number two, these false teachers do not live the narrow way. They do not live the narrow way. And you're saying, well, pastor, what, what, what do you mean? How, where did you get all those things? Okay, you have to listen right, to the whole Sermon on the Mount, which you guys have pretty much. We're two sermons away from listening to the whole Sermon on the Mount. What is Jesus concerned with? The heart. The heart that produces righteousness in, through Christ in us and as we're then walking that out. And so Jesus is telling us, how are we going to recognize wolves? We're going to recognize them by the fruit they produce, which is here, ontologically speaking, coming from the teaching, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We'll get to that in a few weeks. And their lives are not going to be characterized by the Sermon on the Mount. They're not, going to have, they're not going to be broken in spirit. They're not going to mourn over their sin. They're people who are not going to uh, take the 
log out of their own eye before they take the speck out of other people's eyes. They're going to be people uh, that can turn people away very quickly, don't love the people uh, who are hard to love in their lives. They're going to be people whose lives are not characterized by fruitful living as put forth in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's why it's important for you to understand what is the Sermon on the Mount teaching? What is Jesus teaching in the Gospels? Because we know we have true teachers because they are living consistent, right? Imperfectly, you realize, but consistent with the tenets laid forth in Scripture because of texts like Second uh, Thessalonians 1 uh, and uh, Ezekiel 26, 36 through 37, that new heart and that new spirit that we've been given by the grace of Christ is going to propel us forward in obedience. Therefore, we can be consistent, although imperfect, we can understand what it means to be a false teacher. And this is why this is, takes a lot of discernment. Because Matthew 7, 21, which we'll actually look at in depth next week, is going to be really important and can actually stump you immediately. Once you read this text Next week, we're getting into this very next sequence of verses that are going to make what you think at this moment is pretty easy, at least as it's been preached, I trust, uh, something a lot more complicated if you're not careful. Because Matthew 7, 21 and 20, through 23 say this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Did that kind of complicate things in your mind a little bit? Let me help you clarify this, if it has. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, false teachers can say a lot of wonderful things. They can do, and you got to recognize this. This is why you got to understand fruits aren't necessarily just the actions that you see people producing because that can fool you. You ever almost taken a, a bite of a, of a false fruit? What are those things called? I don't even know. What, what are they called? <laughs> Your grandma had them on the kitchen table? Hmm? Wax. Yeah, yeah, okay. Maybe like me, you've been close to doing that a time or two. All right. We're not just talking about, oh, well, there's some fruit there and it looks good. What we're talking about here in the text in verse 21 is, do they do the will of God? Do you see them practicing, teaching, and living out the will of God? Because I'm going to tell you this, and you even see it in the text, verse, 20, verse 22. Prophesying in the name of Christ is not necessarily doing the will of God. Casting out demons in the name of God is not necessarily following the will of God. And doing many great works in the name of Christ is not necessarily doing the will of God. So we cannot be deceived by false teachers because they stand on platforms and they go to places saying, thousands of people came to Christ. Thousands of people were healed of their infirmities. Thousands of people, millions of people follow me on social media. I influence the masses on every continent of the nation. And you're going to say, no, that's pretty hard. I got, I got an Instagram, and I got like 80 followers. So if they have thousands and thousands, they must, they must be doing something real good. And we're going to say, no, that's not what this is. Is having thousands of followers the will of God for your life? Not biblically speaking. You may want it to be, but that's not the case. Right? That you would do a lot of these crazy things that maybe the average person cannot do does not necessarily make you either in the will of God or a teacher of God. That just means you're a master of deception. 
And we've got to understand, just like Christ does, that these works that people are doing, and this, you, you got to have a firm understanding of Scripture because they're prophesying in the name of Christ, they're casting out demons in the name of Christ, and they're doing many mighty works in the name of Christ. But this is what Christ classifies those works, the end of 23. You are workers of lawlessness. Every single time you spoke a prophecy in my name, every time you cast out a demon in my name, and every mighty work you did in my name was a work of lawlessness. And that's going to take some discernment, isn't it, from the church? We're going to have to ask ourselves, just because they're saying things that are true doesn't make them true. Just because they're doing a lot of great things doesn't mean that they're sent from God or given to us as gifts by God for the local church. We need to ask, do they teach the narrow way and do they live the narrow way? You can actually, in the back of your sheet, you'll see question Five? Is that the one with 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1? Is that the one? Just shake your head. Okay. Th- those are actually the qualifications for pastor slash elders, right? Pastor, elder, overseer, all synonymous words, talking about the same office in the local church, every, all those. Those are actually qualifications for your pastor, elder, your overseer in your local congregation, or your elders, plural. Uh, those are actually very helpful because if, you, if you're like, well, you're sure talking about a lot of like outward realities, a lot of fruits, a lot of they got to be this, they got to be that, they can't be this, they can't be that. Read it. It's a whole list of qualifications that a man who claims to be called by God must have their life characterized by in order to qualify by God as an official representative of God to his local church. If you don't, you're disqualified, unqualified. And if you don't remain in those, you become disqualified. That is just what Scripture teaches. And so, therefore, if we look and say, what does fruit look like? All i got to do is go over to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and I know how to identify them, which is point number three. You need to know how to identify them. You need to know how to identify false teachers, and you need to know how to identify the teachers that God has given us. Because you realize God has given us teachers. We see it in Ephesians, that, that God has given, at least as we look in Ephesians 2, uh, that God has poured the foundation of the local church through the prophets, the apostles, and Christ being the cornerstone. And with on the top of that foundation, he has given us teachers and pastors, or pastor teachers is actually the Greek makeup of that word. He's given us pastor teachers who build on that foundation of the doctrine of Scripture. And so we therefore have to be able to know how to identify these people because God has actually indeed given churches the gifts of pastor teachers in the pulpits to guide congregations. And so we can't just say, well, I ain't going to listen to any pastor. Okay, well, there's a problem, biblically speaking. But we can't just say, I'm going to listen to any pastor. We got to make sure we're discerning through the use of Scripture the identity of those whom God has placed in those roles versus whom those people are who Satan have placed in those roles and by their, their own divisive lifestyle and teaching move people and swerve people away from the faith. So how can we do this practically? Uh, Hebrews 5 is a, is a good example. Uh, you, can jot, you can jot that down or turn to it briefly. Hebrews 5. I personally love Hebrews. It's one of my favorite books. So I'd turn to it if I were you. Hebrews 5, starting there in verse 12. Uh, You know what? Let's see. Verse 11. I'll just start from verse 11. 
About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So one of the, one of the things that we need to understand as, uh, as members of God's church is we have to start learning about God's word in such a way where we don't have to be reminded of the basic oracles of God. And I know that we live in a culture that's like, the basic oracles of God, that's the most important things you can understand. Yes, like walking and riding a bicycle. It's something that you've learned a while back that you can do now at a greater expertise, right? The same concept goes with us. We have to, if we're going to be discerning Christians, we can't always have to go relearn the basic oracles of the Christian faith or we're never going to, we're never going to get to a place where we're actually living out the discerning lifestyle of the Christian. And we see this here. And it says, for everyone, in verse 13, who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Did you see that? The problem with people who always need to relearn because they either they, they refuse to learn it, uh, they don't want to learn it, they don't care to learn it, all those things. What happens is you're unskilled in the word of righteousness. What does that mean? That you are susceptible to deception of false teachers because you're unskilled. They say things, and because you're unskilled in the word, you don't really know what to do with it. And so you're like, I don't know. I'm just going to trust that God has me where he wants me. And I'm like, no, you're going to trust that God has given you everything you need for life and godliness through his glory and excellencies, right? And so you're going to go to the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all of God's word is God-breathed, and it's good and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, uh, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and ready for every good work, right? That, that's going to be what helps you train up your, as it says here in the text, the righteousness and being skilled in the word of righteousness so that you can discern. And that's literally what verse 14 says, that solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers. And I actually prefer the uh, NASB and the CSB's rendering of that word power because that's not the word that we learned uh, last week, Uh, dynamis. This is a different Greek word that could actually also mean senses. So there, if you use the NASB's translation, but solid food is for the mature who have their senses of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Did you see that? The work of the Christian who is empowered by the Holy Spirit is to constantly have their powers in the ESV or senses in the NASB of discernment trained. How? How can they be constantly trained? Well, I need to be skilled in the Word of God And I need to constantly practice what I've learned in Scripture to distinguish, as the text says, good from evil. So I have to, if I'm going to be somebody who's willing and able to identify false teachers, I have to have my senses trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so what are some practical things I can do? One, know God's word, right? If you want to know a good shepherd, you need to walk closely with a good shepherd, you want to understand a good teacher, you need to walk closely with Christ because he is the good shepherd. And we see even in the Pauline text that he has given us under shepherds, which are your pastors and teachers in your local church. And how do you know that your pastor and teachers are good pastors and teachers? Because they submit themselves to the overseer of their souls and the overseers of the souls of the church through their over shepherd or their chief shepherd, as the text tell us. Know God's word. You can identify false teachers because 
we're not talking about, oh, the pastor slipped up and said something, you know, and okay, okay I'm, you, we're all fallible. There's going to be times where we say things that we're always going to say, well, okay, maybe I need to reiterate that differently next time. But we're talking about this, that they are willfully and ignorantly, they can do it ignorantly, but ignorantly, willfully misleading people and misrepresenting God's word. And if they are ignorantly doing it, see 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. They have to know God's word, know how to train people in doctrine, and know how to correct those who refute it. Did you see that? And so there has to be an ability and a skill for the pastor to train people in doctrine and be able to correct those who refute sound doctrine. So you need to know God's word. Your pastors need to know God's word. Secondly, you yourself need to be walking the narrow path. And honestly, we're talking a lot about doctrine and we talk a lot about discernment, uh, but here's actually one of the biggest reasons I have seen in my own experience why people will not say that somebody else is a false teacher. It's because they're li- they themselves will not walk the narrow way. They are living in sin, and the first thing that they think off the top of their head is, well, who am I to judge? Like, what, you, what do you mean, who are you? Right here. You need to go and recognize them by their fruit and use that big, mean J word. You need to judge their teaching and the outcome of their lives according to Scripture. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul literally tells us this. He says, who am I to judge those outside of the church? Am I not here to judge those inside of the church? Did you see that? Paul literally says that in 1 Corinthians 5, because there is reality. If you call yourself a sheep, you better be living the lifestyle of a sheep. And that happens when we are discerning and recognizing the fruit, particularly of false teachers. I want to know God's word. I want to walk the narrow path. Jesus says it best in Matthew 10, 16, when he's talking to his disciples. He's about to send them out to the villages around him as he's about to go teach. He says, behold, in Matthew 10, 16, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And that's it's pretty uh, parallel even to what we're at in our passage, right? You got sheep, you got wolves. And he's saying, you're sheep, and I'm sending you out, and there will be wolves. And so here's your job. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I love that. I know some Christians who want to be wise as uh, serpents, and they want to be just as n- n- guilty as serpents. Did I say shepherds? mean serpents. People want to be wise as serpents, but you also want to live like a serpent sometimes. And I don't mean in the sensualities of your flesh. I'm saying there's some of you in here who are more vigilante than vigilant, and you're like, I'm going to be wise like a serpent, and I'm going to go strike like a serpent. And it's like, okay, but that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says you need to be wise as a serpent, but innocent as a dove. You need to be discerning and wise and cunning, but in your lifestyle. And in your intentions, you need to be as innocent as the dove that just flew over your head. That's, that's the call of the Christian. And so as we wrap this whole sermon up, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to identify these people? How are we going to inspect the teaching and lifestyles of those who claim to speak on behalf of God? Well, we're going to, number one, not be children who have to be on milk. We need to be on meat. We need to be meat eaters at our church. Right? We need to be people who are going to say, I've understood, and if I, even if I haven't, I'm learning right now the basic oracles of God, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith in Christ, as Scripture says. We're going to understand those basic oracles of God. We're going we're to abide by them, and we're going to live those, but we're going to learn what it means to then build on that foundation by eating meat and being skilled in the word of righteousness. So we can then, by taking these things that we know, start practicing our discernment through these things so that we can tell good from evil. And then as we can tell good from evil, we are going to then be 
like serpents, wise and cunning. But in our life, in our behavior, and in our testimony and witness, we're going to be as innocent as doves who are the image of perfection and holiness and righteousness in Scripture. The Holy Spirit himself descends on Christ in the form of a dove. If you want to know what that looks like practically, it's that you would represent God in holiness and purity and righteousness as you're discerning false teachers in our culture. So I leave you with those two texts as we embark as a church uh, together, making sure that we both sit under good teaching and know how to identify those who misrepresent God. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that this is a helpful tool in our belts as we live our Christian lives within our community here at Compass, uh, that we recognize the existence and prevalence of false teachers, uh, but that we also have the wisdom and discernment to know how to uh, identify them and uh, point them out, and that we would, as a church, as a congregation, be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves, that, that we ourselves, like the prophet Jeremiah, that we would uh, be humble in our assessment of others and that we wouldn't ourselves be accused of slander because we've rightly discerned and we've sought counsel and wisdom from other, uh, other shepherds, other pastors, other leaders in the church that we have to make sure that we ourselves are discerning rightly. And so I pray that we would do that. I pray that our church would grow from this. I pray that we'd be greatly encouraged by this, uh, that God, that we want to be a church that just opens your word and says, what does this mean and how can we apply it to our life? And so God, we pray that this time was pleasing to you, that you look down on your children who just desire to know you better and to live according to your word. And so God, even as we close in song, God, let us sing to you the praises of your name. In Christ we pray, amen. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing together once more. Lord, I find you in my seeking. Lord, I find you in the doubt. And to know you is to love you. And to know so little else I need you. Oh, how I Thank you so much for joining us here at service today. We do invite you, encourage you to stick around, grab a coffee, and have some time of fellowship afterwards. You are dismissed. <laughs>